Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence here in our midst. Thank you for your Holy Spirit being here. We have not come to hear the words of man. Our week was full of that. I want to puke on it, God. That, that We're done with that. We need you, and we need your word, and we don't need it in theoretical ideas. We need it in the person of Jesus Christ. We need it in the presence of your Holy Spirit, and we welcome you here in this place. Overtake us. In this moment, enlighten us. Reveal to us this truth, not just so we could comprehend it, but God, so that we would be transformed to be more like you, so that we might be salt and light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, you know, when Andy said that, you know, we prepare notes for the children's ministry each week, if you're preaching, I winced. I was like, man, my notes were horrible. <laughs> I know that. Jason, like, I saw his notes from a few weeks ago. It was like three pages. I'm serious. I, was, I asked him, I was like, Jason, what are you doing, man? He's like, oh, that, I can get that done in two hours. I was like, Phew. wow, okay. Um, so I, I was pretty self-aware, and I think part of the reason was is because we're preaching on John. Um, and I don't know how well you know John or the book of John, but this is not, this is not Paul. Uh, John, there's a ton of theology in there, these ton of these wild ideas, but John is a mystic, okay? He, he's got, he, he is always talking about love. He even refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Wow, dude. I mean, what a setup. And so, and, and not only that, but he's writing the, the gospel of John, and it's this full story that he lays out, and a lot of the overall ideas take multiple chapters. And so, in order to get to know John a little bit better and, and to know how to read the gospel of John, I really recommend you, you read 1 John, which is one of his epistles. It gives you a good filter for understanding, okay, what are some of this guy's ideas? Because you've got to realize that even though the story and the events in the Gospel of John are taking place, you know, when John was in his teens, I believe, you know, a real young guy, but he's telling the story um, probably 40 years later or more, looking back in, in retrospect, what, what went on and what still stirs inside of his heart today. And so, got this crazy mystic, all right, who starts, starts his whole book with, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, and you have tons of theologians still trying to unpack that. And, and now I've got a little passage that I've got to boil down so that the kids can understand it. It's like, I don't understand it. But I hope then that you guys can be ambassadors of the Word today and interpret what they're going to talk about for probably only two to five minutes, and then they're going to go play. So the kids are going to be good. Let's see if we can uh, land in the same spot ourselves. All right, so um, in the 90s, uh, there was a sitcom, Seinfeld, okay? The show about nothing, right? And, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for even bringing it up because there's some sketch stuff in Seinfeld. And so I'm not advocating that you actually watch it because you probably haven't, being all very good people that don't indulge in such things. Maybe. Um, but it was, it, some of the episodes were hilarious. Early on, when I was, when I was younger, I, I watched it, and it would so infuriate me. I mean, literally, I, my blood pressure would start to go up as I watched a Seinfeld episode because I was so frustrated how idiotic these people were. And I thought, that is so typical. What a great interpretation of Seinfeld. Read, you missed the point. The whole point of the show is there is no point. It's ridiculous. Uh, one episode, which is one of, uh, touted as one of the, the best, is that 
you know, so the, the four main characters are stuck in a parking garage and they can't, in a mall, and they can't find the car that they drove there. So for an entire episode, all the dialogue and action is about them not being able to find the car to get them home. You know, Elaine bought, I think, a goldfish and has it in the bag, and she's afraid that the, the goldfish is going to die. Uh, Kramer is the one who owns the car, which I guess that's the episode itself. And then, and then Jerry, Jerry needs to use the restroom, and it's just ridiculous, right? Well, I'm coming to, I come to find out, and I can appreciate Seinfeld now. It's absolutely ridiculous, and that is the point. It's just a foil for life. It just shows you, guys, this is ridiculous what we're going through and what we focus on, what we think is important. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves for that. And I feel as though as I start to read in John chapter 13, okay, yes, and I'm preaching in 14, so I'll get that in the second hour. (laughs) I I told you, Jason's not here. It's as, it, so I, I feel as though this is one, one expression so similar to that. It's an exercise in missing the point. The disciples are the foil for Christ and his gospel. They're absolutely ridiculous. And if you, it, you can even read the Old Testament this way and almost look at, at Israel as a foil for God's message. They're constantly messing it up. It's, it, they keep going around in circles in the wilderness. And people, if you haven't figured out this, they weren't lost in the wilderness, they just didn't have the guts to trust God to go where they were supposed to. I, I feel that it's happening here with the disciples too. He's got them wandering around in circles. And, and let me kind of show you what I mean. And again, I, I have to give this full context and start in chapter 13. Um, I feel like there are portions of scripture that are, are, are like a Monet, all right? I, I can't just focus on a one by one inch shot of, of a Monet. I, I've got to broaden the picture a little bit to see how beautiful this really is or, or how you know, ridiculous the disciples really are. So it's, the, the whole chapter starts off here in 13 where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Okay, He gets up, and this is radical. All right, We've talked about this a little bit before. I think Jason may have covered it. He washes their feet, then he sits down, and in verse 12 he says, so when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example and you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. All right, so he's, he's getting this message across. This is what I'm doing for you. I'm showing you that I'm a servant. I'm giving you an example. And just before that, Peter's like, no, you can't wash my feet. And Peter's like, Peter, you don't get it. You don't get it, Peter. Follow my example. Don't argue with me. Follow me. He goes on. And, and he talks about, in verse 21, he says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I said to you, one of you will betray me. Peter's like, man, I wonder who that is. So he leans into John, whom the disciple who Jesus loved, says right there. He's talking about himself. And he gets John, he says, ask him who he's talking about. And so John says, in verse 25, Lord, who is it? I think Jesus was worried about who it was. 
Guys, I told you, be servants. Serve one another just as I have served you. And Peter and now John are focused on the wrong thing. Who's going to betray you? What's going to happen next? They're worried about this plot that's, that's happening, that's working out in life. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we worry about the details of life instead of the characters engaged? What happens next? Who's the bad guy? Jesus draws their attention away from that. He answers the question. Again, he, he loves John, so he gives him an answer. Then it comes down, and, and he tells them in verse 33, after Judas is gone, now he tells them, where I am going, you cannot come. And he says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what does Peter say? Where are you going? Exercises him, missing the point. He just tells them, a new command I give you, love one another. Even as I have loved you, I've showed you how to be a servant. Even when you're betrayed. And what does Peter say? Where are you going, Jesus? Because I want to go too. Jesus is like, no. Not only that, but he goes on to tell him, after Peter's confession, Lord, I, I, I'll go with you wherever you're going. I'll even die for you. He says, no, you're actually going to betray me. You're, you're going to deny me. Exercises in missing the point. I told you, love one another. Where are you going, Jesus? <laughs> so, so John and Peter, not to mention Judas is out, all right? Let's keep going. Verse five of chapter 14. Um, now Thomas is getting in on the action, okay? After Jesus says, um, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and, and will take you to, to myself, that where I am you may, you may be also. And you know the, the way to where I am going. So Thomas speaks up and says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? <laughs> Jesus replies, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, me. Exercises in missing the point. Thomas is also getting caught up in, God, I, I, I just want direction. Show me the way and I'll go. He's like, ah, I'm the answer. There's this divide that's, that's happening between Jesus and his disciples. His disciples not are only getting, not getting the point, they're missing the crux of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am this solution. I, I am giving you love. I am love. Abide in me. All these other ideas. And the disciples are getting carried away and caught up in the matters of life like a big Seinfeld episode. And we do the same thing. God, I just want clarity. What am I supposed to do in this situation? We pray for solutions instead of praying for more of Jesus. Remember, this is the message of a mystic, so I, I get it. Our, our wonderful little Western minds do not like this message. You are not gonna go away this morning with this great new equation that's gonna solve all of life. That's because that's just another answer to another question. The solve, the whole point here is Jesus himself. And our minds kind of tilt on that. The disciples' minds were tilting on that. 
So let's listen on what, what, what comes next. In verse 7, he says, if you had known me. Oh, God, can you hear Jesus' heart breaking? If you had just known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip. <laughs> One more character in the sitcom. Lord, show us the Father. That is enough for us. Ah. Have I been with you so long, and do you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Ask whatever Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. So imagine, if you will, a couple that's been dating for a little while, all right? They're in love. They're on the verge of engagement. She knows it. And she doesn't quite know what he does. She knows he does something in rocks and other things, but not quite exactly what he does. And so... Late one night, he takes her into a jewelry shop. They're the only ones in there because it's after hours. Turn on all the lights. He says, anything in the store is yours. Anything. <laughs> anything? From the watches to the rings to the necklace. So she's, oh, checks out every single cabinet. What about the stuff behind the cabinets? You know, they don't put in the windows you have to ask for. It's like, oh, yeah, opens those up. Anything in the store. That's Jesus' invitation right now to us. Anything in the store that you want. He owns it all. It is all his. What's on your list? You know, that, that daydream when you're driving down the highway and you see that the, uh, uh, the Powerball is up to $356 million? You start daydreaming about it. Excuse me, I'm obviously describing what I do, so I, I'm sure you guys don't do this. What do you buy? A nice lake house, go on a cruise around the world, tell your boss that you no longer want to work there anymore. <laughs> What's on your list? Probably, you know, get out of debt, buy a car for somebody that you like, Make new friends. <laughs> what else is on your list? What are the things that you pray for? What are the things that you ask others for? What are the things that you ask God for? I think it's for peace. I remember at one point I, I was <laughs> just, work was rough. And it was waking up to stress. You know, I didn't just end the day in stress, but when you wake up the day in stress, then you know it's not so great. God, just give me peace. That's all I need. That's such a worthy prayer, isn't it? God, give me health. Give us stability. Help us overcome this. Help me get over how I feel about that person. This is a great list, isn't it? I'll tell you what. The shop is full of stuff, and it's all yours. Anything in the store, ask him anything, and it will be done for you. But I think if we stop there, we miss some of the point of what Jesus is really offering to us. 
So again, verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now finally, now we're at the verse that I'm supposed to be preaching on. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you ask me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Obey. Don't we like that word? No. We, we kind of uh, appreciate uh, to reasonably comply. <laughs> right? This is all very developmental for us. When our kids are young, we tell them not to do something, and it's obey, because you can't understand the reason why I don't want you to do X or Y or run out into the road or touch a hot stove or put your finger in the convenient height of an outlet. No, just obey. And you see the expression comes, come from a child that regardless if they understand, they just obey. Then they don't. And so you motivate obedience through a stick, right? I mean, not literally, because who would do that these days? You motivate to obey because bad things will happen, right? Now, now I'm starting to get into the Christian ethic, right? You don't do bad things even though you're tempted to do bad things because bad things will happen, right? That's, that's the reasonable progression. So you obey because it's reasonable to comply. Congratulations on your development. Let's see if we can take it one step further for all the good Christians, which I'm just gonna qualify everyone here in the room. Congratulations, welcome. Welcome to your new ethic. You motivate with a carrot. Remember? From a stick to a carrot. Now you obey and... and because you realize that I'm obeying God's commandments, there is reward. Good things will come. Sometimes they don't always feel so good, granted. But we do good things because we know if we sow good seed, we are going to reap a good harvest, right? Congratulations on your next developmental milestone of reasonable compliance. John is going well beyond that, though. He's not saying obey because if you don't, bad things will happen to you. He's not saying obey because if you don't, you won't get good things. He's saying that obedience in and of itself is a fruit of loving Jesus. Completely different, all the way back to the childlike trust that just says, I don't understand it, it looks so tempting, I wanna put my finger in it, but mom and dad say no. I don't understand it, but God, I am going to be obedient. It's an expression of love. Completely new development here. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Anything in the store. But if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey. And we don't like that word obey because we're wonderfully mature Christians and people. We don't have to obey. No. We still need obedience in our lives. Even when you don't understand, even when there's that still small voice inside of you that said, go do this. Listen and be obedient out of an expression of love, out of the fruit that is love. 
He defines a new relational economy for us, one of love. Now, let's look in First uh, John chapter five, and again, this is some of this lens that we look back at the entire Gospel of John on. First John chapter five, verses one through three. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. When we live in love, when we just love Jesus, obedience, again, becomes a fruit of our love, and it's not burdensome. It's not problematic. It's not difficult. It's not an expression of self-discipline. Now, I'm not giving you permission to go out and do whatever you want because, well, I just didn't feel it. I'm saying, take it one step further. We we have not been given a moral code. We have not been endued with some wonderful ethic. We have been given the gospel of Jesus, a gospel of love. And that is what we're seeking after. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's giving us something else. Something else is coming here. Yet a little while and the world will be no more and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Here's what he's really offering us. Anything in the store is yours. Anything you want, sweetheart. This whole disconnect with the disciples. Give us a solution. Give us the way. Show us where you're going. I'll do anything for you, Jesus. He's saying, no, not all those solutions. Yes, ask anything you wish, and I I will. I'll give it to you. Anything in the store. But what is he longing for us to ask for? Him. So instead of all the jewelry and all the cabinets, she turns to her beloved and says, I want you. Ask anything you wish and it will be given to you. And then he goes on to describe, it's me, by the way. Is he on your list? Is, Is Jesus himself and his presence expressed in your life in greater and greater measure, is he on your list? Is he at the top of your list? So when I was, when I was praying for peace because life sucked, sorry, I'm driving along asking for peace, I just get slapped. God, I'm sorry. I don't need more from your hand. I need you. I need more Jesus. That's what he's offering ultimately. What's on your list? 
Ask anything you wish and it will be given to you. 